0: Welcome to a podcast that tries to build a bridge between science and spirituality. So, all the way from Sweden, your hosts are Maria Dupal and Helene Carland. Welcome back to an episode where we are gonna talk more about lost memories from the second civilization. And with me, I have Maria Dupal, of course. Hi. Hi, and Mr. David Henry, how are you, David? Great. How are you guys doing today? Great, great. And we're so excited great. that you are here because you know what, Dave? I went uh, to South America this summer, and I visited the ancient megalithic structures that we find in Peru, such as Ollantaytambo, Sacsayhuaman. I went to Bolivia and Tiwanaku, Pumapunco, and I looked at all these structures that they have, the megalithic structures, and I thought to myself, there's no way that you can build these phenomenal structures that last for, who knows, thousands of years without any kind of help from something, whether it be aliens or some kind of technology that we don't know, we don't have today, and Well, in your book, you're actually saying that according to Ari, the star travelers and the Anunnaki who were here, you are saying that they used giant solar reflectors to cut stone. And then once the stone was cut, sunlight was used in combination with sound to change the elements to something that was not as dense. I remember your formula for the ninth fundamental truth, light plus sound equals form. Now, my question is, would the um, megalithic structures that we have in, for example, Peru, be an example of that? Is that how they did it? Because I can't sleep at night. I wanna know, how do they do it?
1: This is the great mystery, right? We, we all want to know.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Do they actually use solar reflectors?
1: Well, it's, that's the way they described the process. They said that it was, uh, they had these giant gold disks that were, I forget the dimensions, but they were like four or five meters across, and they beamed sunlight into the stone in, in combination with sound in order to shift the elemental structure to a different parallel frequency. And then once the, the matrix moved into the parallel dimension they could move it you know there was still a core left on on the third dimension which they would move that it was very light and then once they got it in place they would uh, reverse the process remove the light and it would re-manifest into our reality so how that happened i you know I, i have no idea but they talk a lot. There's there's a lot of talk about, you know, the use of solar energy, uh, which a lot of times, you know, they would collect, here's the way they explained it. They would collect solar radiation uh, outside the Earth's atmosphere, convert it into light, and then beam the light down. And then, you know, they could use the light in different ways for different purposes. Uh, you know they they used it to collect they used the uh the sunlight they and here this is they've never really explained it in enough in detail that I can tell you exactly what they did but they would beam it into uh formations that had a lot of copper and quartz and they would store the energy in some way i guess in a in a molten form and then they would use the the stored energy for different purposes to go back to the megalithic structures. Um you know they talked about you know cutting the stone with like laser light lasers. And you can see that on a lot of the stones that you see uh have vitrification. You know, it's like the the surface of it has been vitrified, which only occurs at really high temperatures.
0: Yeah, we. how so, could you possibly, uh, like, even 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago, it doesn't matter, how could you possibly have the people there use such a high temperature to, in my opinion, what almost looks like melting the rock? We didn't have that equipment. We didn't have that kind of scientific tools at that time.
1: They've never really talked about what what happened in Peru because the uh, Anunnaki, and the LAM were in Mesopotamia primarily. And that's where they described what they were doing up there. But the scientific community, you know, they've, of course they've looked at like down in Pumapunka and Tiwanaku and places like that. They've, they've studied these rocks because it's really confusing for them. And in, in their opinion, you know, like the, uh, the giant 200 ton blocks, uh, you know, they seem to think that those megaliths were actually like geopolymer sandstone concretes that were poured in place. Oh, then, is that is that what they're saying? Uh, ah. That's that's one of their opinions. Um and then the uh the H blocks, you know, that have the perfectly polished surface. Uh they're made of andesite, which is a volcanic rock. And they've done microscopic analysis of the uh surface. And there's no tool marks tool marks on it anywhere. It's perfectly smooth. Surface contains uh organic material that shouldn't be there because it's volcanic. So hmm. you know, the question is, you know, were those like poured into a form? Was the rock melted and poured into a form or was it cut with some sort of high precision laser that you know that obviously humans would not have access to no so science has a hard time explaining that Well, well the indigenous
0: people i mean sometimes we forget to ask the people who actually live in the neighborhood i mean the indigenous people of bolivia and peru the quechua the aymara they will actually say that no we didn't build these megalithic structures they'll say that still today but we keep insisting or the academic world keep insisting that they built the megalithic structures such as uh, whatever you find in Peru or Tiwanaku why don't we listen to the indigenous people who actually say that no we didn't they were other beings they call them the shining ones the Tiwanako, that they came visitors came that didn't look like the indigenous people and that these visitors taught uh, the indigenous people then how to build or how to create a civilization and they also were um, helping or building all the megalithic structures We can find still today. So, the Aymaras, they will say that, but we keep insisting on, no, 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 you guys did it.
1: You have to look at it from a a scientific perspective, you know, if if indeed we're not the pinnacle of humanity that's ever lived here, then, you know, the entire theories that they've generated about how life originated on earth would be put into question, and all those you know PhDs that they've awarded you know would be meaningless so
0: you can't spend 10 years studying getting your PhD (laughs) and then like no I guess not (laughs) but it's the same in Egypt right we have the pyramids in Giza but we have luxury we have so many things in Egypt that are amazing and that at least not only in my opinion but I mean it's kind of hard to believe that all the pyramids were built by slaves but if we were to question uh, the established idea that they were built by slaves then what happens to the identity of the people that actually live there we have uh what's his name zahi hawas uh, he's kind of in charge of the archaeological uh, institution right in, in in egypt he uh I mean, and he, he he is always claiming that, no, no, the pyramids were built by the Egyptians. Just deal with it. You guys just can't accept that we know what we're doing. But if you were to question, or perhaps we have some evidence that these pyramids were built with ancient technology, perhaps from another civilization, or perhaps from aliens, I don't know. But we're going to talk about that in our next episode. So who Ooh. built the pyramids?
1: I'm oh, looking forward now. <laughs> I'll see you soon. All right. Well, thank you so much. Bye-bye.